trusting God. Everybody say trusting God. You know, it's kind of unusual really in a sense that the Bible commands us to trust God. It doesn't command us to trust people, right? Now, we want to trust people, but uh, trusting God is so important in our lives. The Apostle Paul's got something going on here. He calls it a messenger of Satan. There's a lot of debate of what actually it was. Some try to say it was physical. Some say it was spiritual, demonic, whatever it was. But whatever it is, the Apostle Paul wants it to be removed from his life. He don't want it. And in fact, in verse 8, he says, concerning this thing, he didn't say I prayed. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times even that it might be, you know, depart from me. One translation said, be removed from me. And then God answers back to him, to his pleading, to his prayer. And, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. They just sung that, my grace is enough. And uh, for my strength is made perfect or completes what that means in weakness. So when you understand as we do here that grace is a person, what God is telling the apostle is that my presence is enough. That, that my presence with you. Now God's presence doesn't come and go as some of us were taught wrongly. But God's presence is consistent and constant, and he promises he would never leave us nor forsake us. And when, when, when God said this to him, he was saying that my presence, Paul, is sufficient. It is enough. Why? Why is his presence enough? Because in his presence there is fullness of what? Joy. There's not some joy. There's not a little joy. And joy is, you, you probably know this, but for the sake of those that haven't heard this, joy is constant, consistent, unwavering. Joy didn't go up, joy didn't go down, joy is constant. Why, how could it be? Now we don't understand that, that happiness depends on what? What happens? Circumstances, situations. You, you go to the prices right and they call you down front and you get real happy. And you haven't even won anything yet, right? That's, it depends on what happens. But joy is consistent because the joy that the Bible mostly speaks of is not our joy, but the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says in his, in his presence there is fullness of joy, and the joy of the Lord is what? Is our strength. That's where our strength comes from. You may be seated. See, we, we, we uh, somebody asked me, you know, said, well, how, uh, you know, how, how do we trust God? Uh, my answer is poorly. And, and bit by bit, incrementally, just a, a little by little. And, and let me say what trust is. Trust is a day-to-day -day challenge for me and I believe for most of you as well. Uh, every day I'm confronted with, am I going to fear or am I going to trust? Am I going to trust God or, or I'm going to be overwhelmed by this fear that I feel, this invitation called fear uh, that's coming to me right now? And, and, and Paul said, I want this thing removed from me. Now, there's things that happen in my life all the time, particularly things, uh, uh, you know, all kind of things, really. But there's things that happen that I want God to remove them right away. I want him to get this out of my life, off of my plate, off of my mind, uh, and, and, and when that doesn't happen, 
then, then I get that invitation to fear. And, uh, and then what I start doing, I'll just talk about me today. I, I think I'll just preach to me today. If y'all get something out of it, that'll be cool. But when that, then, then what, I, what I do is call future worry. I have the amazing ability to begin to imagine the things now because God didn't remove this, from, this problem from my life. Then I start imagining all the things that's going to happen to me, to others, to my wife, to my children, maybe to my grandchildren. Uh, and because this thing still remains, then I, I go ahead and project what the remaining of this thing is going to cause in my life. And I future worry about it. Uh, and then I've already got this horrible imagination. I've already seen my funeral in my life now. I've lived long enough. I've, I've watched my video of my funeral about four, five, ten times. Before I went and had bone heart surgery, I went ahead and played a video of my funeral. You know, just for myself so I could enjoy the open heart surgery. Right? Future worry. What if? What if this happens? What if this you know, is not removed. And then, and then what I do is I start praying and I start asking God for grace for that future thing that don't even exist yet. That I've just imagined. And then I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that God doesn't provide that grace for me. God's not going to give you grace for something that don't even exist yet. And, and so what, what, what happens is that we fear, and really I hate to even admit this to you, but Maybe it's just me, but fear is really, to the degree that you fear, is to the degree that you really, really deep down in regard to whatever your situation presently is, you don't believe that you're totally, perfectly loved by God. You don't, and I don't. Now, I claim I do, but I don't. And the fear is my dash light on my car going off telling me you don't, not really, not completely, not perfectly. Now, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love casts out all, all fear. Now, whose love is perfect? The only love that is perfect comes from whom? God. No human has ever loved anything or anyone perfectly. A human does not have perfect love. But God's love is perfect because God is perfect. And it says perfect love cast out fear. It says there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. How many has had that torment going on in your life before? But he who fears has not been made, the word is translated perfect, in English it's the Greek that means complete or whole. But he who fears has not been made whole or complete in love. What fear does is it never allows you to live in the present moment. Fear always projects you into the future and has you worrying about something that you haven't even arrived at yet. Now, we all know in the, one of the songs they just sung was really taken out of that, that, that aspect of Jesus telling us not to worry. Because if I care for the sparrows, he said, if I clothe the, the, the fields with lilies and flowers that are a pop up today and the sun scorches and they're gone tomorrow, how much more will I care for you? 
If not one sparrow falls from a tree to the ground without your father's knowledge of it, he said, don't you know that the very hairs of your head are numbered? God doesn't know that you have, you know, X number of hairs. He says they're numbered. So that means that God's got hair number one, hair number two, hair number three, hair number four. And when you brushed your hair today, he knew which ones fell out. Now, ain't nobody, you don't even know yourself like that. No other human knows you that well. Is God the hair counting God? <laughs> God's just trying to let you know how deeply he knows you and cares for you. And so th th that's what fear does. It doesn't allow you to live in the present day. Um, that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. And then Jesus made this statement. He said, sufficient is the troubles of this day. In other words, don't start transporting trouble, future trouble that hadn't really happened yet into today because you've got enough on your plate today to deal with it. And my grace and my presence with you today is sufficient for today. But if you don't live in today, you're going to be a, a basket case because grace is not available for, for ha what hadn't happened yet. And is that making sense to you? That's what Hebrews 3 and 13 says. It says, exhort or encourage one another daily while it is called today. Your encouragement only comes in today. You can't get encouragement today for next week. Because next week hasn't got here yet. You can't get encouragement today for something you're worrying about that's going to happen three months from now. Because it hasn't happened yet. And most of the time, it doesn't. Most of the time, it's a product of our vain imaginations and our fear being displayed out in a mental video in our head. Now, with me, and one reason I told them that we'd receive the offering after, and I'm not here to try to manipulate no offering, but if I preach on laying hands on the sick and praying for sick, how many would expect me at the end of that service to pray for the sick? So I'm going to talk about finances. Now, if you come here, you know I hardly ever do this. Not because I'm afraid to, but I'm just talking about bigger fish most of the time. But uh, God, let me just say several, I'm going to go several statements here. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. Uh, in Acts 17, verse 25, the Bible says God doesn't need anything from us. And what that means is that God's not being mean or arrogant. God's saying, in other words, for God to be God and retain his Godship, God doesn't need anything from humans. Paul said that he is not worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything uh, since he gives life to all breath and all things. God doesn't need anything to be God. God doesn't have to have your support to maintain his divinity. God is God without us. You, you, the old church, you say he's God all by himself. Y'all remember that? And, and, and so it's true. Now, God does need us to co-labor co and cooperate with him in this earth to get things done in, according to his will because he gave the earth to men. But God doesn't need our money. He's still God without it. But, but I, I read a blog just a, a couple of days in, uh, uh, ago, and then let me say kind of what kind of uh, birth thought is, and it's not Pastor Joanna's fault, but after the service last Sunday, uh, she said, Pastor, I, I need to talk to you. And I was like, I knew what it was about because I knew that this church, Grace Point, uh, you know, how many consider uh, this church your church? This is your church. Hold, hold you, if you ain't ashamed of it. All right, put your hands down. How many consider me your pastor and your shepherd? Okay. Well, good, I love you. 
And I, I was checking on some of our little, you know, I love the ability now that we have to, to text and stuff and do, do the things we do. And, and I get, it gives me a better, as a pastor, an opportunity to keep up with, with my people that's going through stuff and that, that I'm aware of. Now, I've pastored people that thought I was all-seeing and all-knowing and omniscient, and I would just discern when they, you know, was having a wart taken off at the dermatologist, and I should have called them. But, but I don't know that unless you tell me. You know what I'm saying. But, but, I, uh, but she met with me last Sunday, and she said, Pastor, you know, financially, you know, it's, we're, we're struggling big time. One of the things we talked about about a month, I don't know if it was a month ago now, you called me and told me we had a $6,000 light bill. $6,000. That's been a hot summer. Everything's gone up. And, and that wasn't because of waste or this left it on. Don't, don't, you know, don't let your vain imagination carry you where it's not. But now, I think you told me the one coming up is like 3600 which is kind of more than I. This is a 10,000-square-foot building, right? Oh, how much? Yeah, I was just talking about the part we used, but this 36,000-square-feet building takes a lot of air to cool this place. I mean, it appreciates air conditioning. But, you know, just a practical thing of that, that, that cost. So if you have a $6,000 light bill and last Sunday we had a $2,000 offering, how many knows math? Math is math. God's God, but math, math is math. And so she was concerned. She's our church administrator. I've always been. She handles that. I told her last Sunday, I hate that you bear the weight of that, you know. Uh, it's not fun. It's fun if you got money just stacked up trying to figure out what to do with it. But it's not fun when you're trying to figure out. And so people love stuff. They love stuff that we do here. They love the people that love the food ministry, and I love it. They love the people that volunteer, the people that, you know, that, we're, that we give that food to. But the food's not given to us. We buy the food. We don't have to pay a whole lot for it, but sometimes, you know, it used to be just around $1,000 a month, and we've had to continue, uh, you know, drop that back. We used to feed people every Tuesday and every Thursday for years, many, many, many years, decades. But, but, but when COVID hit and the money went away, you realize in 2020 when COVID hit March, I mean, we lost, you know, over 100-plus people went out the door and did not come back. One thing I found out about COVID, when people are not in this building, they're not giving no matter what they say <laughs> as a whole. That's a, as a, they just don't. And I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we're on Facebook. And so if you're watching me on Facebook, I mean, don't get mad. This is kind of like just, you know, this is come to Jesus meeting today. But, you know, watching me and this and being in, you know, watching this on Facebook is like sitting at your house and turning on a TV, on your TV, a picture of a warm fireplace scene. You, you, you see in it, but you ain't feeling the warmth. <laughs> There, there's a difference in physically being in the presence of the Lord. And I want to tell you, God's not behind and was not and still is not behind COVID. And so when that hit, that, that hurt and hit every church that I'm aware of, no matter how big and bad they thought they were. And many of them have not recovered and many of them have closed their doors since then. Now, I, you know, just from a real, just being real with you, when that hit, I took a $400 a week pay cut. That's never come back. I'm not riding the roads, you know, enrolling people in Medicare because I just enjoy being outside. Just, just a week ago, I came across a blog 
it, I don't even remember who the guy wrote it. And, but the title caught my attention, like grace always catches my attention. And the blog said, the high cost of free grace. And he started enumerating number one, number two, number three, number four, all these things that, that free grace would cost you, particularly as a church and a pastor. I thought it was ironic that things we're dealing with that, that, it would, that I would have just come across that. I'm going to read you what he wrote. This is one of his points. He said, preach grace and it will cost you money. If you used to preach tithing as an obligation and now you don't, your church's income may go down. It shouldn't, but it might. Stop telling people that they are under a curse from God. If they don't tithe, then you might have to get a second job. How many knows that he was getting my attention? He goes on to say, there are no tiny violins playing here, and I don't write this to solicit sympathy. I write it so that you may enter the halls of God's grace with eyes wide open. Jesus said those who truly followed him would experience trouble, and for the 21st century grace-preaching pastor, this is what trouble looks like. That's pretty, that's pretty on the nose, isn't it? All I could say was, you're right, brother. Because many, many years ago, many years ago, before I even came here, I have, I have never preached to this church. I don't say I've never preached it, but I've not preached it to you, that if you don't give tithe, you're, you know, God's cursing you. All that stuff that a lot of us raised under, you know, that, book, that pistol to the head stuff, I don't believe in none of that. Because it's just not true. Now, most preachers, you know, even preachers today that say they believe in grace, but they are terrified when it comes to this subject. I've had pastors to talk to me when I wrote my book, uh, Myths Heard in Church, and one of the chapters in my book is they're still tithing under grace. And, and I say, yes, there is, but not in the way that, it, that we preached it or that it was preached to us. And so most pastors, their go-to verses, they go to Malachi, which is Old Covenant, by the way, uh, chapter 3, and they begin, and they read that, and they use that as a, as a stick, not a carrot, to the people. And they try to scare the people into giving. And, and it does say in the Bible, Malachi 3, 8, it says, will a man rob God? And this is God talking now. This is God talking. He says, God says, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And then God replies, answers his own uh, question. He says, in tithes and offerings. Notice he don't just say in tithes. It says in tithes and offerings. What if it read in offerings and tithes? It doesn't matter, does it? If it's Dale and Jill, or I say Jill and Dale, it's still both, right? Now, God considered in this moment in, under the law to these people, he was being robbed of not only tithes, but offerings. And he said, then he says in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Now God's not cursing them, but they were something causing a curse. He says, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now he says, bring all the tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And God, this is the only place that I'm aware of in the whole Bible where God actually tells a human people to try me or prove me, test me. And God says, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, everybody say windows. I'll open for you the windows of heaven. I'll pour out for you, for you, 
such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And then God says, I will rebuke the devourer. Who, who knows who the devourer is? Y'all ever met that guy? I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall uh, the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, most preachers, and when I first started preaching, and that's the way I was taught, trained, that's the church that I went to. And let me say something. You're, ta- you're hearing a, a person who has, I don't mean this in arrogant now. Just allow me to tell my story without, you know, all that. But I've tithed faithfully since I was 19 years old. And, I, I, and I'm 60, how old am I? 63. Sometimes I forget. Uh, anyway. So, and, and I have. Uh, I haven't had a season where I quit it. I hadn't, even when I was mad at God, I still tithed because I was scared of him. I really did. I, I went through that season where I was mad at him and I didn't like him, but I still gave to him because I didn't want to be under that curse, you know. I didn't, want him, yeah, I didn't want all that. I remember I used to stand before people as a young pastor and I'd say, you know, as they would receive, as we're going to receive an offering, I said, now as you bring your tithe and offering today, fresh commands go from the lips of God as he rebukes the devourer on your behalf. I was lying like a dog and didn't even know it. I, I didn't know it. Um, the first time that the word tithe, and how many knows what tithe means? Tenth, a tenth. So the first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 14. We're not very far into the Bible. And, and it's in regard to Abraham. Now Abraham, uh, you know, uh, left the, 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 where his foreign land and he went to the promised land where God told him to go. God told him not to carry his family, but, you know, he didn't mind completely. And he carried, you know, his nephew Lot. And Lot went with him, and Lot's like the, the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he settled in that area. But what happened is there were four kings, four armies, four kings of different nations that formed a coalition. And these four kings in unison came together, and they attacked the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which Lot happened to be living there with all of his hundreds of family and with all of his wealth and all of his camels and all of his gold and silver and everything that he had. Uh, that those four kings took Lot captive, his wives, his family, everything, and all of his possessions. Well, the word came to Abram, that Abraham, that as we would know him, but Abraham, uh, you know, was told. So Abraham uh, musters his men, his his family mainly, men trained. The Bible says in his household, and he goes after those four kings. Now, this, this man, Abraham, who is not a king, and he doesn't, he's not a commander of an army, but him and his family went, and they, just, they defeated those four kings. They, they took Lot back. They, took, they didn't lose one family member, and not one dime of gold, silver, or any of his treasures did they lose, and they recovered all, the Bible said. And so now Abraham, I mean, everybody say supernatural. Right, so that was some help that he got. And so now he's returning from this great victory, and on his way back home, there is this, this person, this, this king, this, this uh, man uh, who intercepts his journey, and this man's name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek means uh, king-priest, and uh, it means king of peace, king of Salem, uh, Salome, peace. That's what it means. 
And so this, and, and if you don't know the story, let me go ahead and just, you know, uh, the, the, this man, this Melchizedek, is none other than Jesus. It is a pre-incarnating visit of the Lord himself. And we know this from Hebrews 7 because it says this Melchizedek is defining who is he. He doesn't have mother or father. He doesn't have beginning or end. He, he doesn't have a, you know, uh, a lifespan. Uh, he, he said it, he is as the son of God because he is the son of God. And so he meets uh, in Genesis 14 and 18, he meets Abraham. And it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, means king of peace, brought out bread and wine. Say bread and wine. That's communion, right? First time communion shows up in the Bible. Okay? How many knows we still do communion today? How many knows we still bring out the bread and the wine? Now what's happening here is Jesus is bringing out bread and wine. It's a foreshadowing of what he will, the price he will pay for this kind of victory that Abraham has just experienced. And he says he was the priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him. In other words, Melchizedek is blessing. Who's doing the blessing first? Who's, Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. And he said, blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth. He said, blessed are you, you possess heaven and earth. And, 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 and then he said, blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, he wanted Abraham to know that the reason, it's not that you're just super smart or super strong or a great military strategist that you won over four coalitions of kings and their armies. It's because God gave you the victory. And he just wanted him to know where the victory came from. And I'm here to bless you. And he brought out heavenly food. How many knows if, if this is a pre-incarnated visit of the Lord Jesus as Melchizedek, you know, he, he didn't go down to the Burger King and get something. He's delivering heavenly bread and heavenly wine to Abraham. What did Abraham do in response to that? It says he gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. First time the word tithe happened. Now this is 600 years before Moses will give the law. So for people that say, well, tithing is under law, it's not under grace. I've actually had, in the last two years, people, uh, not, not a lot, but I had one man, one family, leave the church uh, because the, I wouldn't quit putting up the word tithe on the big screen when we do our proclamation. Because he said, there's no tithing under grace. Well, if we're going to say that, then we should say there's no communion under grace. Because bread and wine and tithe all goes together in the same verse. The Lord gave bread and wine. Abram responded with a tithe. He's not paying him. He's honoring him. Now, in Hebrews 7, we won't read that, but it says that the reason that Abram gave tithe to this man because this man was great. So tithe does a lot of things when we do it. Uh, giving that the tenth is declaring that God is great. Now, do we practice the bread and wine today? Yes. Do we practice tithe today? Yes. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 8, it says, here, here on earth, he writes, mortal men receive tithes, but there, heaven, there, he receives them. He, God, he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. 
So in other words, when, when, when we do bread, when we do communion, when we set up the communion table, on the table that we set up, most of the time it's draped with a cloth so you don't even see it. But on our table, right over there, that table, on the front of it is engraved in remembrance of me. In other words, when we do communion, bread and wine, what are we saying? What are we doing? What are we memorializing? We are remembering, the Bible says, his death and, and what that death brought about in our lives, right? And we, and, we, and we honor and praise him for it, and we do communion because of that. But when we tithe, Ken talks about this a lot when he comes up and, and, and receives the offering. Uh, he learned it from a good pastor, I don't know. Uh, but what, what tithing does is when we do that, we are actually, by tithing, we're declaring that he lives. We, we're declaring that he lives. And, and, so the, and, and, and we do it because we're honoring God. Now, I grew up saying that, you know, you got to pay your tithes. Your tithes is like a light bill at the, you know, at the utility company. You, you, you owe it to God. And, it, and, and, they, and the preachers told me, I was preached that if you don't pay it, God's going to get it anyway. And he's going to get it with interest. Anybody ever been threatened with all that? And, and the preachers preached that in the churches that I went to all my life told me that if you don't tithe and you don't pay God what you owe him, then, then you're going to pay it one way or the other. You still ain't going to get to keep it. It's going to be broke down motors. Your washing machine going to tear up. Uh, your, your kid got to get sick. You're going to go to the doctor. And you're gonna, I mean, the money going to go either way. So you might well give it to the church. That's what they told us. So here, I, whoa, whoa, I don't want, it, I don't want the doctor to get it. Here I come with my tithe. That's, that's, like, that's like being jacked up. You heard not carjacking, you're taking your car. That's like carjacking you for your money. And you, and you do it all in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I had preachers reading my book where, they, where I said that tithe, you don't pay tithe, you don't, you don't do all that. And they said, man, if you, do, if you preach that, they said you're going to cripple the church's finances. I said in Dallas, Texas, North Fort Worth, Texas, at a national worldwide meeting of apostles, and one of the apostles there setting out, you know, we wasn't in the actual meeting, it was between meetings, and, and, and that was the discussion. I mean, how, you know, it's like, Dale, how do you arrive at that? I say, I arrive at that because it's not, the, the Galatians says we are no longer under a curse. There is no curse. And how are you going to stand up and tell people there's no curse, but yet there's still one curse? When tithe first appears in Genesis 14, it never says Abraham paid tithe. It says Abraham gave him. I read it for you. Gave him. Tithes are not paid. They're given. Now, he says in Proverbs 3 and 9 that you honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruit of your increase. That's what a tithe is. So when we do it, you see the declaration we put up. We're always, we do it out of, a, of an endowment of honor. We're, we're not paying nothing. Uh, today we tithe out of revelation, not obligation. We're not obligated, but we, we, we tithe because of the revelation. Um, you know, some people have told me, say, well, I, you know, I don't believe there's enough New Testament evidence to support tithing under grace. And I said, well, that, that, may, may, that may be true. I don't actually believe that, but that may be true. But I said, there's also, I, I would say this, there is not any New Testament evidence to not do it. Why don't they just say don't do it? Jesus, one time, he was talking to Pharisees and scribes, and I realized he, it was still under the law part there, 
But he said, now you bring tithe of your deal and your cumin and all your little spices, and you count those things out and you tithe off of that. Now he said, those things, Jesus said, you should have done. But he said, but don't leave the more weightier matters missing, like love and mercy and those, those things. Uh, so the account of Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, I believe, is extremely important because, again, it predates the law. It was 600 years before the law was ever to be given through Moses. So you can't say tithing is, is, is law because it predates the law. Okay? And anytime I make a real powerful statement, God has the train engine to blow their horn. That's just the thing. If you've been here a long time, you know this. They indoctrinated me to that when I first came, so I listened for you, God. See, that's like, that was God saying, amen. <laughs> See, the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham before he, Abraham did anything is a picture of grace. And that shows us that Abraham did not give out of fear or motivation to get something in return. He did it simply to honor Melchizedek. Now, there's reasons for the tithe, and I think we miss this big time. Listen, the tithe is not for God. God don't need your tithe. It's not for you. I mean, in other words, it's not for God. It's for you. The tithe is for you. All right, let me tell you what sin did. Sin brought in... Sickness. Before sin, there was no sickness, right? So death, sin entered and death through sin. All right. So sickness, all that come in because of sin. Let me tell you something else that came in that we forget about sometimes. Poverty. God's not, God hates poverty and God's not for that. God's, God's not a poverty God. Uh, God's not sitting on a wooden bench. He's still on a golden throne, Okay. God don't go in recession with us. He don't, you know, he's not, God's still God. All right, so all right, before sickness came, did not God already have a provision for his children to, to, to deal with that problem? Right? By his stripes you were healed. He says when they're sick people, anoint them with oil, let the elders pray the prayer of faith, the Lord save the sick, raise them up. All right, so God, in other words, God has provision for the sickness before the sickness ever got here. Is that true or not? Okay, so in the same way, God knew that, in other words, God anticipated and God made provision for the poverty and the curse. That there is a curse and it's still valid today and, it, and it's on the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, God never looked at Adam nor even said, you're cursed. God has never cursed a human created in his image, Never. Now, humans have experienced a curse, but not from God. And what God said, the ground is cursed for your sake. In other words, for your fault. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to make it rough on you, and I'm going to curse the ground so it would be hard on you. That's stupid. That's why I was taught. It's stupid. No, God said the ground is cursed for your sake because of what you've done. You have brought about a curse to the ground. And now what's going to happen is the ground is going to bring forth Thistles and thorns and briars and weeds. How many people in here? I do a little. I, me and me and little Addie Boo got a little garden. It's about three times bigger than this pulpit, and we plant stuff. And she loves to do that, and I love doing that with my grandbaby. So we, you know, in the spring we plant stuff, and and the other day we planted some onions. That's a new one for us. So we put some little onions in, and we plan to have some onions. But without me doing anything, you know what also will come up? 
weeds. And, and it's astonishing, isn't it? I didn't even plant them. Here they come. And, and, and they seem to be more fertile than, the, than what I'm wanting to come up. And they come in with a vengeance. That's your proof that the curse is still going on. And when we get where there's no more thorns, thistles, and weeds coming up, you'll know the curse has been broken. And Revelation says in Revelation 22 and 3, that day is coming, but it's not here yet. So the ground is cursed. That's why we still have problems. You still got spray for weeds. You believe my wife told me I need to spray for weeds this afternoon on my Sabbath? It ain't really my Sabbath. I said, woman, I ain't spraying no weeds today. It's supposed to rain. Even to race the, waste that round up. They should call it round gold up to, to buy it. But why is she telling me that? Weeds is popping up in our, in, around our house. Weeds. We don't want them. They aggravate us. They cost me money. I have to work against that. So what I'm telling you is that's part of the reason that God provided a tithe for your sake. And what the tithe does is it works against that, that, that curse. And, and there's something about God that, that, you know, we've heard it said in the old church, you know how they say, but God makes that 90% go way further than the 100 would have went without it. Because it breaks that. And you say, I don't believe in that. Well, that's fine. Be happy, I still love you. Okay? Why 10 commandments? Why is it 10 commandments? Do you know there's 430 commandments in the law? But why Moses get on the mountain and just get, you know, two tablets of 10? Why 10? Why not nine commandments? Why not 11? Why not 27 commandments? I mean, could he only tote two tablets? Was 10, you know, why couldn't we reduce the font size? <laughs> because if you understand the way God operates, the reason it's 10 commandments is because that's the tithe. If you keep the 10, you're credited for keeping all. If you break one of the 10, you're credited for breaking all. If you break one of the 10. All right. When the children of Israel, being led now by Joshua, are going to invade the promised land at the bequest of God, they are going to take these cities. They're going to take these cities. Remember the first city? What was the name of the first city that they took? Come on, you know this stuff. Y'all better get back in here on Wednesday night where I can educate y'all. Jericho, right? Joshua was leading them in. All right, how many cities did they conquer? How many cities were there to conquer? Ten. First one was Jericho. Uh, God let them take all the, the spoil, uh, the bounty of that, of that city. They could keep the gold, the silver, everything they conquered... They could keep it. Now, next, anybody know the name of the next city they went after? Ai. Now y'all working with me. Now you working? Ai. That's a that's a weird name for a city. Where are you from? Ai. <laughs> What's up? Ai. You know, you know, not big A. You know, anyway. Ai. All right. So we got a we got a guy there. Now this is what God says. It's literally God saying this is a tithe. Don't touch none of this now. This all belongs to me. This is the Lord's. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with the gold. Don't mess with the silver. Don't, don't, don't take any of it. It's holy to God. 
got a dude named Aiken. Is it Aiken? And so he sees gold. His heart gets moved with greed or fear or whatever motivated him, and he hides the gold in his tent. And remember, then it throws the whole nation under a curse because of what he was doing. And that's where they spy out the camp to try to, he said, there's sin in the camp. Somebody then took that away. It was ten cities. That's, that one city was declared. God said, in all the nine other cities, you can keep everything you, you go after. But now on this one now, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. If I pray for somebody and they get healed, and that has happened, praise God. And I've seen them healed of cancer. I've seen them healed or whatever. And so, but they get healed. What if they start praising me? Oh, Pastor Dale, I praise you. I praise you. I just give you praise, Pastor Dale, for healing me. What do you think? What do you think? I, you know me. What do you think I would say to that? How many knows I'd go, whoa, 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 hold up here now. Don't praise me. I would not take the glory. Why not? It don't belong to me. Who does that glory belong to? Belongs to God. I, I, I don't, somebody says, well, I don't believe tithe. You know, you, well, you just have to decide if you believe tithe still belongs to God today like it used to or it don't anymore. If you don't, then just keep it for yourself. And then the next time somebody praises you, just keep that glory too while you're keeping it. You just keep it all. And I don't mean that mean. I just mean you've you got to be consistent with your theology. And, and so God, God said, cursed is the ground for your sake. And then he gave the remedy for that curse in the tithe that he provided for us. Now, now let me just say this. You've you got to see tithe as a plus, not a minus. It, it's, it's, it's a plus. It's not a minus. Now, we are not under the Levitical priesthood any longer. That priesthood is done away with. It was temporary. It's gone. Yet there are still preachers and churches and denominations that teach Levitical priesthood is something that still is an ongoing. And that's bringing people under bondage in the law. Now, under Malachi, that was the law, and God said that if you, if, you, if you tithe, now this is what I'm going to do for you. I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out for you a blessing. You won't be able to receive it all. I will uh, rebuke the devourer. He's coming trying to take your money from you. I'm going to rebuke him for your sake, and I'm going to command that the ground, that you know, it doesn't bring forth, you know, it, your fruit's not uh, destroyed. I'm going, to, I'm going to deal with that curse that's on this dirt. Now, when I, what are you talking about with us in our lives? I'm talking about where you work. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about all those things. Every day when I go to work and do what I do in, in the Medicare field, I know that I've got total 100% favor of my papa, and I never pray for it. I only thank him for it. But I don't automatically have favor with those people that I'm going to meet because they're not robots, and God's not going to make them be a robot for me. And so going to every appointment I go to, I promise you before God, I look down on that paper on my right seat of that pickup truck when I'm heading, and I read their name, and like a man I saw yesterday, his name was Tyrone Oliver, and he was in Mitchell County, and yes, I work on Saturdays, glory to God. And I was on my way to Camilla, and, and I looked down there before I got to his house, and I said, Father, give me favor with Tyrone Oliver as I meet this man today. Give me favor with this man. And that favor manifests. I'm not just saying I need that man's money. Man, I got to that guy's house, and, and he said, man, he said, I partied way too much last night. And, and you know, and I felt like if any, you know, anybody lit up a cigarette, there'd be a, it'd be an explosion. And I, could, I said, I could tell 
You know, he said, man, I'm hung over, man. He said, just help a brother out and let's get this done. Because I need to go back to bed. <laughs> I, he said, hook me up. That's what he told me. He said, hook me up. I said, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to Medicare Advantage all over you and loose you and let you go. <laughs> but I had a lady Friday. And she said, she said I, I've got... You know, she told me a, a disease that she's struggling with. And I just felt, I don't always do that. I don't even, even tell them I'm preaching. But I, she said, I'm, I'm just praying for the, the God to heal me. What, what do you think I'm going to do with that? You think I'm going to get in my truck? <laughs> that's a job, but that's not my work. This is my work. I can retire from my job, but I can never retire from my work. Jesus said, I work. Even my father worketh here too. And he said, I've come to do the work. And Jesus said, the work that you've seen me do shall you do. And so you get, I'm going to work the work. And I said, ma'am, can I pray with you? She said, oh, that would mean so much. I said, Father, we agree with what you say regarding her. That by your stripes she's healed. So I'm there with my United Healthcare shirt on, but I got my hand laid on this woman, and I'm out there on her front porch, front of God and everybody, and her family watching. But I felt like maybe this is the main thing that was on Papa's heart for her. I had another man uh, I sat with Friday and Douglas. He didn't do no business with me. Did that mean God? I didn't have God's favor? Mm -hmm. Just mean he didn't do no business with me. He said, well, I'll think about it. And then he started talking about church. And he started talking about things that bothered him and all kind of things. And he said, I just lost my wife three months ago. And I said, I, I know, I can't imagine the loneliness that you feel here in this house now. <laughs> I said, can I pray with you? Because I watched my mom when my dad left here five years ago. Boy, it's tough on her. I said, boy, it was really tough on her. And I said, can I just pray with you? And so I just said, Lord, let this man know how much you love him. Let him feel how you feel about him. And you know his heart. But you said you're the healer of the brokenhearted. So I pray that you would heal every place that this man feels broken today. And Jesus that was all. That was a little short prayer. Did I do that to manipulate the man to sign it up with me? Mm -mm. He said, man, I appreciate you. I said, if you ever need me, bro, give me a call. I'm going to work the work. I'm going to work the work. Now, I, I always told God in my private prayer, God, I will do this that I do for you for free. Told John the other day I might get a chance to prove that to him. That's all right. And I told her it's all right. Now, when she told me what she did last Sunday after we met in here Wednesday night, boy, we had a good time. Apostle Callaway, I love doing that, man. We had a good time. Can't wait to do it again. I thought I'm going to do like you said, throw some Saturday mornings in here for whoever wants to come and get a little more time. But we did questions and answers and stuff. I, I'm never going to do question and answers with you guys. I don't do question and answer. I don't do Q&A. You're looking at me strange. Well, you did it Wednesday. No, I didn't do Q&A Wednesday night. 
And we will never do q and I will never do Q&A. I'll do Q&R, questions and response. <laughs> I'll respond to your questions. But I don't have the answers to all your questions. I don't, I don't consider myself the answer man. But I will respond. My response may be, it's a mystery. I don't know. My response may be, pardon my hopefulness, but I just believe God's better than that. And I'll trust in that. Some people are so afraid to believe in the God that I'm trying to preach to them because they're afraid that if they really invest their hearts into that God is really as good as I say he is, that they will be so tragically disappointed if they find out wrong, that I'm wrong. It's taken me a long I'm amazing. I've, I've been studying the Bible, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but since I was 19 years old, I, I, deep in my heart, I knew I was called to preach. And I have been studying the Bible like a crazy person since from 19 to this day. I, I've gone to, to Bible school. I've, I have a bachelor's degree. I have an honorary doctorate degree. I've, I have invested my life in knowing God. And people will argue with me that come to church like once a month, sit there for a few hours, ain't never read nothing the Bible on their own, ain't never studied nothing, and they know more than I do. That's always amazed me. That'd be like you trying to argue with your doctor, trying to tell him he don't know how to take out your appendix because you Googled something. <laughs> Let me just say this. That Melchizedek thing, the priesthood of Jesus, that's what we're under. Malachi, and I've told you this sample, and many of you heard me say it, but God says I will pour out the windows, I'll open the windows and I'll pour out a blessing. If you come to my house, I open my window of my home and I pour you out a glass of tea, guess where you are not? You're not in my house. you outside. And that's how it was in the old covenant. you outside the blessing, the, the law. But now we don't go through, we, we, you don't get nothing poured out a window, you, you get an invitation to come through the door and sit at God's table. The Lord said, I will rebuke the devourer. Now, some of you drop your tithe in and you think that gives you a free ticket to just fold your hands and let you know and the devil will run over you while you're tithing. Because I've pastored long enough now, I've seen people faithfully tithe and give and the devil devour them financially while they tithe. So it's, this, is not, this is not abracadabra. This is not magic. You're going to have to open your mouth and say something when you see the enemy trying to take your money, take your health, take your peace. you got to say something. You, you, you say, I thought, no, that's old covenant. The Lord, man, from Genesis to Malachi, no human ever rebuked the devil. Nobody. David didn't do it. Uh, Solomon didn't do it. Uh, Elijah didn't do it. Jeremiah didn't do it. Ezekiel didn't do it. None of them did. Why? They got no authority to do it. When an angel was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses, he said, the Lord doth rebuke thee. Only person God thought he'd rebuke the enemy in the old covenant was God. But once we stepped over into the pages of the New Testament and under grace, now God says, you got that authority. You got the power. He said, you speak to the mountain and command it to move. And so you got to open your mouth and say something and say, Satan, listen here, I command you to get your filthy hands off of my finances. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You will not take my health. You will not take my life. I will live and not die. You, you got to say something. You ain't got to do it in front of me or in front of nobody else. Just find you a private place and go after that devil. Say something to him. Mm -mm, you ain't taking my finances. Open your checkbook and talk to it. 
It's fine. Ain't nobody filming you. Just be, you got to say something. Use the authority that's been granted you in Jesus Christ. So this is a different covenant. So let me, let me just end with this. In Leviticus, that priesthood was temporary. Melchizedek priesthood is eternal. In Leviticus, there was a continual sacrifice for sin. Under Melchizedek, Jesus, one sacrifice for all. Under the Levitical system, sin covers. Sin was covered and sin is always remembered. Under Melchizedek, sin has been removed and sin is forgotten. Under the Levitical, there's no power to rebuke the devourer. Under the Melchizedek priesthood, God's given us power to rebuke the enemy. Under the Levitical system, you weren't in, you was out, and you had to get poured out of blessing. Under the Melchizedek, you, you, you stand and walk through that open door, and you sit at God's table. Under the Levitical system, only the Levites could be in the ministry. If you weren't a Levite, you couldn't be in the ministry. Under Melchizedek, we all ministers. In, in Melchizedek. Under the Levitical system, it's the priest only. But under the Melchizedek, it's not only priest, but it's king, priest, and prophet all in one. And under Levitical system, there's always that veil, that separation between the holy of all, holiest of all and the people and the priesthood. But the, when, when Jesus died, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. And God said, there ain't no veil, no more, because we're not under that priesthood. You're all Melchizedek priesthood now. And you don't even hear nobody teaching that. Most, most Christians never even heard the word Melchizedek. Melchizedek what? They don't even know. But, and they're still using your, your Levites. You're not a Levite. No, you're not a Levite. You're, you're Melchizedek. But why, why? Because your high priest is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is a forever priest. That, that, that's, that's who he is. And so... So let, let me just wind up with this. And I hope you, and I want you to understand. You, 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 I mean, and like far as me, and sometimes my heart, you, you can believe it. Can I just be just gut level on? When she, when she, in intro, I love you to pieces, you know that. Uh, but when she, when she talked to me Sunday, I want to tell you, I didn't drive out of here going, glory, glory, hallelujah. I'm like, I could feel myself breaking out in the sweat when she was talking to me, telling me what kind of mess we in. I'm like, man, come on. I went home. My wife's loaded with it. I'm loaded with it. It wasn't a fun Sunday afternoon. Didn't talk a whole lot. I went to bed at midnight. I don't need no purple. I'm just telling you a story. I'm just saying I'm human. I ain't saying I'm proud of it. I'm just saying I'm human. I woke up at 3.30 early Monday morning and could not go back to sleep. Now, I'm the, I, the way I'm wired, my body, when I can't sleep and I try to force myself to sleep, then my stomach starts pumping acid, and then I get nauseated. So I woke up. I always get up and have a nice little cup of coffee in the morning. I couldn't even smell nothing. I, but I had, I had appointments. I had to go work. My wife even told me once, she said, you got to get a hold of yourself. I don't know where the handle is, though, but I'm to get a hold of myself. <laughs> She said, you can't let this do this to you. And I know I can't, and I'm ashamed that it does do that to me. And, and I sat there Monday when I got kind of still Monday evening, and, and God brought that story to me about Paul. He said, you want me to remove this from you immediately, don't you? I said, God, are you worried about all this? You know, he didn't answer me. I thought I felt a, heard a laugh. 
what I think God's going to say. Yeah, man, we're bringing our hands, me and the, me and the Holy Spirit and, and the Word here. We, all, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen to y'all. So this is the truth. Wednesday night, we're in the conference room after service with the elders. And we're sitting there, and because I'm a man that's, I'm, you know, this ain't a one-man show. And these elders know I, I, we, we submit to one another. I, and so I share with them. Wasn't something that, hey, I can't wait to tell you all this. <laughs> I share with them. Because I can't, I can't tote this by myself. This ain't my church. Light bill ain't in my name. I can't tote this. I got enough where I live. I can't tote this. You know, and I told God, you know, this is your deal. Now, we feel like we got an enemy that's fighting against us, trying to take away this platform for this message. Well, now, we ain't joking that we feel like that's part of the battle we got going on here. But people, they say, well, I don't believe in tithing. Well, I want to tell you this. If the ones that do is what's keeping the doors open. And just say, if you don't believe in tithing, all right, let's just move that off the plate. Just forget it then. Just don't ever say the word tithe again, and I still love you. But you do believe that you got support where you go because somebody got to pay that light bill. Somebody got to buy that chair you sitting in. Somebody got to put that carpet on your feet. Somebody's got to do all the things that we do. I can't believe they closed down the food ministry. I ain't saying we will, but you can't pay for what you can't pay for. I can't believe they got rid of the children's pastor. You can't pay for what you can't pay for. We have, we have a children's pastor on staff here. He's a great man. I, I talked to him last Sunday afternoon, too, because he's part of my staff. I said, David, I just need to tell you where we're at, bro. Number one, I want to tell him not to make him fear, but make him pray. He said, we just need... We just need God to be God. So we're sitting in the elders meeting Wednesday night in our conference room in the front office, knock on the door. Johanna said, Pastor, I, I, I so hate to, to interrupt, but I want you to look at the text I sent you. And so I pull up my phone, and, uh, and, she, and she sent me the text. I, I, should, I could I read it if I mess it up. <laughs> Let me just read it. Y'all talk among yourselves for that. So I'm sitting there, and she says, Pastor, uh, and I won't call the person's name because uh, I don't know that I even see him, and that's not important. Uh, I do pray that he hears this, but I won't call his name. He already knows who he is. He's read his birth certificate. He already knows what his name is. But it says so, and then she names the person's name, Jets tithed $3,000 through PayPal, because he sold something, I think we still need to do what you're talking about. Uh, and that was the area where we, me and her talked about making some, trying to cut something else. But I believe that this is God saying he's got us. That's what she texted me. So I, I, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting with my elders. We're discussing the dilemma of lack of funds. And she taps on there while I'm sitting with my elders and a man, and it, and it happened in that moment. It had just happened. And he had just sent $3,000 through PayPal into the church's account. And she said, and I concur, that that's God. No coincidence, God's saying, I got y'all. I've got this. Don't let fear 
invade your heart. But all I'm saying is, you know, and I talked to my elders and, you know, I said, you know, I don't know, you know, how much they even share with the church. Now, some of y'all, you might go, well, you know, I don't know what you're doing. But some, some uh, elders say, well, you know, we need to share. I mean, you want me to come down here one Sunday and say, well, this is the last Sunday, you know, peace out. Uh, and you don't even know we've been no, whoa, 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 what's up here? I love you too much. And I don't mean this arrogant or anything. I, you know, I've told them, I told all my elders, they know that. I mean, if I, if I don't ever get a dime from this building, I, I'm going I'm to do this. God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't get in this for money. <laughs> uh, now, I'm a little shocked that things are going on in the world like they are. Somebody told me last Sunday there's four church properties in Valdosta, Georgia that are for sale. Four churches that are gone. I mean, so a lot of churches are, are you know, struggling right now. And, and, and God wasn't behind COVID. And, and I've had so many people that I talk to, but, you know, I'm just not the guy, you know, I'm not going to sell snake oil. I'm not going to push offerings. I don't talk about them. I want to talk about grace and Jesus. And I just expect your heart to respond to God. But you've got to have enough knowledge to realize that all this cost. And you say, I don't believe in this, I don't believe. You've got to believe, you know, like Andy Fletcher was saying, if I, he said, if I'm, if I'm a member of the, of the touchdown club for Lowndes, he said, they're going to require me to give X number amount of dollars per year. He said, whatever you're involved in. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now, if your heart's here, the treasure's got to be here. Now, I mean, I just want you to know that you're not talking to a person that don't tie. Am, am, am I right up there at the top? According to you, I don't, never, I don't know who gives what. I don't never look at it. Y'all could give a million or none. I don't know. I don't want to look at it. I don't care about that. I'm not going to let money influence me or... I'm not after that. I had somebody leave, you know, you know, some time ago and say, well, you know, and they, they didn't tell me because I might have spoken in tongues to them, but they told somebody else, you know, well, they, you know, they just got a bunch of poor people goes there. We left there and went to the, you know, the XYZ church. More influential people over there. We're not a bunch of poor people. We're rich in Jesus, you know. I mean, we, what are you talking about? We're a bunch of poor people. You may not like this. I ain't trying to stir up nothing, but we've had people leave, you know, that they've left. And again, they didn't tell me directly because they got better sense. But they've left and told their friends, which in turn told someone, which told me that they left because we're too diverse. We got too many, you know, peoples of different colors. Well, you understand there's no such thing as a white church or black church or Korean church or I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but I, I've read my Bible, and it says at the end of this thing in Revelation that every kindred, nation, tongue, and ethnos is going to be around that throne <laughs> worshiping God. And, 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 and this right here, and people like Jason that's known me forever, this is, this is what my, the church I started in Spark, this is, this is how it was. This has always been my heart. I prayed for this, and this is a reflection of my heart. And how do you go after certain people and this people? You know, I mean, when I pastored uh, uh, Cornerstone, Jason, I, I had two attorneys. I had two medical doctors. I had all kind of professional people, but I didn't go after them. They just showed up. 
They blessed and gave and done whatever, you know. But I'm not going after no demographic people no more. I don't even know how you do that. All I know to do is come here, love you, preach the gospel, preach the truth, and, and love you the best I know how, and, and live my life and try to be an example to you. That's all I know how to do. But I don't have to do this for no money. And I could go, well, I, I, man, I just, I just resign and be done with all this and just focus on my life, you know, and the enemy will love me. I'm not going to do that. I love you. I feel responsible for you. I love you. I, mean, I don't mean I'm the only one who preach this, but I, I, I love you. I get to do this. I don't got to do it. I get to do it. And I always can't wait to get to do it. I love doing this. I love telling you about Jesus. I love to see you go through that transformation when you finally start. It's like, like Howard says, once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like seeing a train wreck. You won't never forget that. Once you've seen grace, brother, you, it's done wrecked religion. You, won't, you, 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 you can't unsee it. That, oh, made him mess me up. He done, I done see grace now. And then when you hear non-grace, you go, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait now. Whoop, whoop. I, I feel the stick whooping on me here. <laughs> this, ain't, this ain't God. This ain't Papa doing this here. And so that's what religion does. But I want you to stand with me. I want whoever was going to take the offering, receive the offering, or you know, come forward, and we're going to give you an opportunity. And listen, the reason I wanted to do this is I want you to give, maybe some of you didn't know some of this, and maybe when you bring your, your tithe today, like me, you know I tithe here, and, 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 uh, and I'm faithful. And Johanna says I'm in the top five. Ain't I? I? I didn't try to get in the top five. I just, I, I just, I, I tithe. But as I put this in today, I'm, I'm not trying to get God. I, I, I honor Papa. I honor him. He's, he's always provided for me. Now, sometimes I'll get to feeling sorry for myself, and I'll say at 63, I should be retired, have my feet up, you know, down at the beach somewhere. It's the way I think about Dale. You know, I think, I, I think that's what I deserve. I asked God yesterday, should I go apply for that billion-dollar Powerball or however? I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> But man, I've been seeing it in the news every day, and I don't even know how you do that, but I would do that, and I'd be real generous. I'd build us the biggest church you ever saw, and, and, and anyway, we, you know, I, I would do that, but I don't even know how you'd do that. But yeah, I, yeah, I just need to stop at a station and say, which one is this billion-dollar one? That's the one I want. Billion. Can you imagine? You know? And you think, well, why don't God just give us the code of that? And it don't work that way. But uh, some preachers say they would never receive a tithe from a lottery ticket. <laughs> well, this ain't this preacher. You, you, you win it. <laughs> you bring it. <laughs> you win it, and they shall come. <laughs> uh, anyway. Papa's been good to me, and you've, a lot of you have heard how God tried to really get my attention when I first started the ministry by doing financial things in my life that was supernatural. And I knew it was him, and I couldn't have orchestrated it. And he was trying to get my heart not to fear when it comes to finances. And I would just be honest with you and say, this has been an area of my life that I have feared probably more than any other area. And I know that. And I don't like that about me. I don't like that, that I occasionally feel fear rush on me and what we're going to do. You know, people are sometimes, they, and if you read the news, you'll fear. 
You know, somebody sent me something the other day and said, you know, there ain't going to be no diesel in 30 days and the whole world's going to collapse economically and, and, and there's going to be a run on food. And I read it to, to Jeannie the other night. I, I mean, somebody, you know, sent that to me. And I love the brother, and I mean, I, I know his attentions probably was good, this brother that, te- you know, sent that to me because I asked her, did she get it? And I didn't want, you know, that fear to grip her heart. And so I said, well, I'll just read to you what he, what he sent me, you know. And so, but then I looked through the news and the regular news, and I didn't see one little blurb about diesel shortage. And then, you know, but a lot of times people are just looking for problems. And they said, no, there's not going to be no shortage, you know. But how are you going to plan? You know, financial planning. We need a financial plan. Yeah, there's no such thing. How are you planning for COVID? Did you have that in your plan? Was that in your daytimer? No, you can't plan for that. But what you can plan on is sufficient is the grace of God in the day that I stand in. God's grace is sufficient. So I love you, and we're going to give, and this is going to be our, our act of... <laughs> Of grace to God today, okay? And just and so you do as the Lord leads you. We're gonna always love you, whether you ever give a dime to this ministry or not. But if you if you if you believe in the message, you believe that we should be here doing what we're doing, feeding the hungry, doing what we're doing, then somebody's gotta support it. So, somebody does. And you can call it tithe, offering, contributions, whatever you, whatever, whatever that word that makes you feel good about it. But it's going to have to be regular and consistent because you believe in it. And you claim this place is this is my house. This is my house. One thing we just immediately cut out was the groundskeeping. That was, what, 200 a week? We just immediately stopped that. One thing is in the wintertime almost. But I told you, honey, what did I tell you? I said, I'll volunteer for a Saturday. I'll come down here and mow the yards and I'll blow off, I'll bring my blower, I'll blow off the, the, the driveway. I'll gladly do that. I'll gladly do that. I'll do that. I, I'm not too good to do that. I like mowing. <laughs> I really do. I'll, I'll do that. Didn't I, I mean, I'll do that. I'll be glad to do that. Because when I feel like when I'm doing anything <laughs> for this house and for this ministry, or the Lord said, don't you understand, son, that he said in his Bible that you'll never... You'll never close a door or, or, or light a candle or extinguish a candle in my house for naught. I shall owe no man anything. I know Papa's watching. You know, Cornelius in Acts 10, he, he was giving alms to the poor, and, and the angel came and said, God saw your giving has come up before heaven as a memorial before God. God has saw your alms giving, and God took note of it. And God wasn't paying the guy. He just said, I saw what you'd been doing for my people and you've been giving to poor people. And God was like, man, that's, I, I, got, I, I already got a memorial statue up for that, for what you've been doing down there. So I know when I do something here, it, I'm doing it for him. And I, and, and, I, and I love to do that. So I'm good with that. If I walk in from my truck into this building and I see a candy wrapper, I'm going to pick it up just like I would at my house. Well, this is my house. It's my church. Amen. It's where my wife goes. I got to keep it good for her. This is where she attends. Right? Papa, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you gave us a remedy for the curse that's on the planet, on the earth. And thank you that the tithe is not for you, but it's for me. And I appreciate you for it. 
And so, Lord, you've always been so good, and I honor you. I don't feel like i got to give for you to like me or love me or bless me. I'm already blessed. But I, I bring the tithe in full confidence that you really are my provider. They sung it, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And we didn't plan these songs to fit, but they sure fit today. But you're our provider, and this is your church. Grace Point don't belong to Dale Young. It don't belong to any of us, but it belongs to all of us. And so we pray that you would send in laborers into the fields that are ripe and ready for harvest. Pray to, we pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would send forth laborers. And Lord, like I've given testimony one time, like you sent me to Lennox Christian Fellowship, because you told me to help that little woman, that woman preacher from Bulgaria named Maria Mendeva, and you sent me there, and for years we supported her. I now pray, Lord, that you would send people to Grace Point, that they would be people that would come. I call for the Daniels and the Josephs. I call for the Nehemiahs. I call for those to come, Lord, and you would send them into this place, that they, they may be, Lord God, a support and a strength to this ministry, and let this ministry grow, not so we can brag on the numbers, so that we can accomplish the wonderful mission you've given this church to do. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. As you give today, you're dismissed. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.